As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And uh, interesting Saturday night in college football this past weekend, we saw a couple of field stormings at Washington State after they beat Oregon, and of course at Purdue after the stunning 49-20 demolition of Ohio State. Bruce, we're going to have on James Laurinaitis in a second, the great Ohio State linebacker who's now on Fox and Big Ten Network to talk about what's wrong with the Buckeyes, but before we all go all doom and gloom, how about them Boilers? Yeah, Jeff Brom is a fantastic coach. He showed us more proof of that. Probably the crowning jewel of his of his young coaching career. I mean, we knew Rondell Moore was a special freshman. David Blau, by the way, he has been fantastic, especially in the last four or five games. And I think this is history for the Big Ten. The first time all four awards they give out, best offensive player, best defensive player, best special teamer, and best freshman – all swept by one school. That's how impressive Purdue was this weekend. Talk to Jeff. I talked to Jeff Brom on Sunday. Uh, he was still buzzing from the big night. You know, obviously it was a very special night for a lot of reasons. Everybody, I think, who watched the Tom Rinaldi piece on Tyler Trent and then saw the interviews with him during the game. I mean, it's hard not to be to to feel just what an, just what an amazing story and what an amazing moment that was to, that he was there and. And the the um, footage of him in the locker room after the game, just really, really special night. In terms of Purdue football-wise, he look, Brom, what he's doing right now is, is just remarkable, given where that program was. They went to the bowl game last year. Then they started 0-3 this year, and it seemed like, okay, well, back to reality a little bit. But four straight wins since then. Talked to him on Sunday, and he's just kind of kicking himself that at the beginning of the season— with a um, inexperienced defense and 
you remember the first half of the first game against Northwestern, uh, Elijah Sindelar was the starting quarterback at the time. He throws three interceptions. So he went conservative for a couple games. They lost to Eastern Michigan, and that's just not who he is. He's all about the trick plays and the, you know, as he flat out says, like throwing the ball to set up the run. So after two or three games, they scrapped that approach. They went aggressive, and they really, really took it to Ohio State the other night. So big win for Purdue. Kind of a troubling moment for Ohio State. So let's get into that now with James. All right. The big story of the weekend was Ohio State getting thumped at Purdue. And we are going to bring in my colleague from Fox Sports and Big Ten Network, former Ohio State great linebacker James Laurinaitis. James, thanks for joining us. I know that people in Columbus are probably really unsettled right now. Do they have reason to be? Yeah, I, I think so, Bruce. I think when you look at a lot of, I think a lot of folks saw the glaring weaknesses of this Buckeye football team. The fact that they were down at Penn State and the defense was struggling, and then they were in a battle against Indiana and Minnesota back-to-back weeks against teams that don't have the talent level that they have. There was a lot of worry around Columbus about Purdue, and so I don't think anyone was really surprised that they. They dropped the game. The, the disappointing thing was was kind of how they lost the game and, and by the amount. Believe it or not, I thought when they put the game in prime time, they did they did Ohio State a favor. It was kind of an opportunity to say, hey, this is going to be in front of everybody. Let's kind of get everyone pumped up for this. And they wouldn't o- overlook Purdue. And to be honest, I don't think they did overlook Purdue. I just think they got outplayed and, and, and got beat pretty good. Yeah, I would agree that it just felt like something like this was going to happen at some point. Maybe not, maybe not that lopsided, but... Somebody was going to take advantage of that defense. I, the defensive part, you know, I mean, they shouldn't be this struggling this much, but they did have a lot of inexperience on the side of the ball. The real puzzling thing, I think, for people, James, is how does a team with J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, they're, they're just they're not able to run the ball to the point where they just abandoned it the other day, and Dwayne Haskins threw 73 times. How does Ohio State get to the point where they can't run the ball? You know, that's a really good question. I think a lot of us are scratching our heads as far as analysts trying to figure out how that that happens with, with two guys in the backfield that have, have each run for over 1,000 yards before uh, in a season. And early on, I don't think teams really knew how limited Dwayne Haskins was as a runner. So, you, you know, they go out against the Oregon State, some of these teams, and they're able to, to run efficiently because teams are still kind of playing the zone read stuff a certain way and the RPOs and Ever since that TCU game, I think teams have really started to crash their ends down on on Dobbins and Weber and haven't even thought about Haskins running and actually kind of daring him to run the football. And so Ohio State has gone from more of the zone read where you used to see JT Barrett take it and pick up some, some mop-up yardage. And now you're seeing them kind of use the true RPO where it's just either going to be the tailbacks or they're going to throw slant stuff over the middle. Uh, and so far, there hasn't been a lot of adjusting to just say, hey, we're going to run up and run or line up in a pistol or something and do some more creative run schemes to, to not even give these unblocked DNs a chance on our guys. And it, it really is mind blowing to think not only with those two talented backs, but to have the size of the offensive line that those guys have in Columbus to be that big across the front and not be able to to move people off the ball and the short yardage has hurt them all year. Red zone really came out. I mean, they've been extremely bad in the red zone over the last couple of weeks. 
it, it really, these are things that are going to have to get corrected. And, and thankfully for Ohio State, they have a buy to be able to go back and self-scout. And if there needs to be a few new wrinkles to the scheme on both sides of the ball, uh, it can happen during bye week. Yeah, as mind-blowing as all that is, I went back and found this stat. Ohio State has, has been held below four yards of carry in each of the last five games, which back basically is since that TCU game or since Urban Meyer came back on, you know, to coach the team in games. What's crazy is, so that's four, that's each of the last five games. You have to go back in the previous five years. That had only happened six times. I mean, it's crazy to see how, how much things have shifted. But to me, the thing that's been really kind of just as, as much of a head scratcher is, okay, I can see Darius Anderson breaking a long run. He can, you know, he can run with anybody. You know, we had Indiana giving them problems. When you look at this team, though, they're 90, I think it's 93rd in the country. I'm sorry, 91st in the country in, in yards per play allowed. I mean, when you see the linebackers they have, it's not like they look like they have guys who are, I mean, they have some big athletic guys. Are they, is it just an experience or like you hear a lot of the fans being critical of Billy Davis, the linebacker coach, Greg Schiano, the defense coordinator is getting it. I mean, what would you do? I mean, you, you played that position. You played it at a high level. I mean, what, where do you think the disconnect is? I think it's a little combination of everything. I, I don't like the inexperienced route because by this time in the season, you have plenty of experience, right? Even if you were a first-time starter, you have plenty of experience. And, and when my group of linebackers and we replaced A.J. Hawk and Bobby and all these guys who have played for a long time, we were so well prepared by, by Coach Fickle that – there's no excuses. When you step in at Ohio State and you play, like the whole experience thing, that goes out the window. You should be ready. And the athletes that they have at linebacker are really impressive. I mean, I was able to go check them out in fall camp in the spring, and they are they are 10 times more athletic than a lot of the guys that, that I played with there at school, and, and they're special athletes. I don't know where the disconnect is coming. I know there's something scheme-wise where the linebackers are always mugged up on the defensive line. I tweeted that out. It's impossible to make plays as a linebacker and react when you're up at the, the heels depth of the defensive line. You don't get to see the whole field. You don't get to recognize the setup of what is the offense telling me with formation splits, with motions. Are there run pass keys from the offensive line, from the tailback? Can I kind of pick up on these things? When you're up there along the line of scrimmage, you don't, you don't have time to react off anything. You're just lining up there and you're kind of, you're easy for the, the line to grab you. I understand maybe doing that once in a while on some unique blitz stuff, uh, you know, on later down, like long down and distance, third and long, stuff like that, or obvious passing down sometimes. But there were so many plays. I mean, I think I freeze-framed 20 plays where there were either wide-open players for Purdue or wide-open gaps in the middle. And if you look back, when they played Minnesota, they kept lining up Tyler Johnson in the slot, and Ohio State kept putting a safety on Tyler Johnson, Minnesota's best receiver, and really their main offensive weapon. And he kept beating him on slants over and over, had over 100 yards receiving. And the first snap of the game, it's Rondell Moore lined up on a safety in man-to-man coverage, playing 12 yards off. And they never adjusted. There was a third down where you had a linebacker, Malik Harrison, lined up man-to-man with no help on Rondell Moore. And so you have to wonder, is that scheme um, that just says, hey, there's an adjustment if we put some of our best talent in the slot, they're going to cover it with a linebacker or a safety? I, I can't think of many NFL linebackers that could cover Rondell Moore with no help across the middle of the field. So it's there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, and I think that's why during this bye week, uh, a lot of these coaches are going to say, hey, maybe we've been able to do some of these things scheme-wise in the past, but 
maybe the guys that we had in the past, the Denzel Wards, all them, they're not they're not here. They're not in this room. So we need to adjust and, and maybe change up the scheme a little bit to to help our our guys out. And heck, if it's too much for them, scale it back, make it make it easier. But they they have to figure out something because I've seen Nebraska in person a couple times, and while they have issues on their own on on defense, they can move the ball offensively down the field. So we're, we're talking a lot of doom and gloom here, a lot of panic over a team that is still seven and one, has a nice win over Penn State, obviously on its resume. As you like you said, they're going to a bye week. A lot can change in a bye week. They come back, they play Nebraska, they go at Michigan State, who has a great defense but is very limited offensively at Maryland, who's been all over the map. And then, of course, the Michigan game. Do you see this as a team that could get back get back in the hunt? Yeah, I think, you know, the, when, when, you go to, when you go to Ohio State, you, you have two goals. It's always you got to beat Michigan and win the Big Ten, and everything else will kind of take care of itself. The playoff, obviously, is added another layer to that, but you can't even think about the playoff unless you win your conference most of the time. I mean, there have been some exceptions across the board, but but the easiest way to kind of try to control your own destiny is just is, is win out. I think there's a scenario that makes Ohio State fans nervous. It is if, you know, Michigan loses before we play, they play each other at the end of the, uh, at the end of November, because then that, that 10 Michigan team, you know, it'd be someone beating them and, and you want to have to, the opportunity to play a, a highly ranked Michigan team. And then hopefully a team like Iowa has a one loss and playing. Indy, you know, and even you don't know where they'll be ranked, but at least it looks like two impressive wins going into it. Because I believe if LSU, and I don't know if it'll happen, but this is a scenario: if LSU beats Alabama, and Alabama is a one-loss uh, team that is basically is going to have an opportunity. I believe I believe the committee would put them in with the SEC champ, as well as an undefeated Clemson and undefeated Notre Dame. There is a scenario where a one-win, a one-loss Ohio State team. Uh, wins the Big Ten and doesn't get into the playoff. And uh, so if you're a Buckeye fan, I, I think you need to root for Michigan to win until you play. they play Ohio State, and you need to you need to root for Bama just to win out so that that one-loss SEC school isn't on the outside saying, hey, uh, we're, we're getting in. And it, was, it wasn't the fact that they lost to Purdue. It, it kind of has a similar feeling to Iowa last year. Like, they lost in embarrassing fashion to where, you know, if the committee is looking at a one-loss Big Ten chance, Ohio, Big Ten champ Ohio State, and a one-loss Alabama team that didn't even go to the SEC title, they'd say the same thing they said a year ago. And it would be, you know what, Alabama, when they get upset, they don't get upset by 20-plus points. You know what I mean? They get upset by you know three, by seven, ten. Who do they trust to put in that tournament? I think that's a really interesting point, James, and especially with you – know, Stu and I have talked a lot about how Urban Meyer's personality is – it's really in so, – it, it deals with an absolute so much – you talk to him about somebody's yeah. the greatest this, so the best that, or then the highs are sky high, and then the lows, you know, people have seen that gif of him eating the pizza in the golf cart after a Michigan, uh, after losing the Big Ten title game, and as you mentioned, getting, you know, thumped by Iowa now at Purdue. The guy is still 50 and four in the Big Ten, which is ridiculous, but, yeah. you know, it, it, earlier in the year, you had this whole mess around Zach Smith. And Urban Meyer suspended for three games, and you know it looks like his, you know, we're, there's been a lot of talk about the headaches and the cyst, and now there's it just feels like there's a lot of doom and gloom because when they fall, they go down really, really hard. So is it a, just a case of ridiculously high expectations, or like what is the vibe around Columbus right now? With you know, I've say you just see people. 
who go, well, you know, they, they don't know how much longer Urban Meyer is going to want to be there and everything, or they're going to, you know, is, is this starting to trend like it did at Florida? I mean, w- what's the feeling there when you're in Columbus around that program? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think the expectations are really high. They always will be in Columbus. That's just, that's why you go there. There's a little bit, maybe are they too high sometimes, of course, but a lot of times Ohio State, especially since Urban Meyer has been there and kind of continue to elevate the program with the national recruiting and everything, it's been, you know, national title bus. It's always been that way, but it's even, it's even amplified. I think the fan base, look at the fan base is very prideful. It never wants to lose ever. But if you get drummed by Clemson 31 nothing in a playoff game, you say to yourself, okay, well, Clemson is extremely talented. Uh, they're a school that, with equal talent, you, you can kind of swallow that pill. It's the And even if you get upset, look, when I played there, I got upset. We, we lost to Illinois at home, but it was a close upset. It was by four. Uh, they went for a fourth down a couple times. And even when you walk away there, you're like, you know what, upsets happen. You know, stuff happens in a football game in conference. I can understand that. I think really the last two years, the Iowa game and the Purdue game are what really just kind of sit and, and just really irk Buckeye fans. It's the fact that these are teams that you have a much deeper, more talented, top-to-bottom roster than they do. And you're ranked and they're unranked, and you've lost these games in embarrassing fashion. And it's something that doesn't happen to Alabama. You know, when they get upset, you know, they would never get upset in that fashion. Uh, and it just makes you wonder why at the end of those games does, I mean, those things kind of snowball. Why does a 10 point defeat turn into a 20 something point? And it's something that Ohio state fans can't really, uh, grasp it or, and can't get over. There, there is a lot of, there's always speculation with coach Meyer and his health and how long he's going to be around and, and all that stuff. I think everything that happened in August, I think amplifies all of that. A lot of people say that the relationship isn't the same with him in the school and I, I have no inside information on all that. The only thing that I've asked people in the building is, you know, since he's come back, has he taken over some of the play calling stuff? And they say, absolutely not. He's been very hands off to be honest. I think if you listen to his press conferences, you can kind of get those hints when they keep saying over and over the, the conversation basically has been, he says, I don't even watch film on Wednesday. I mean, I've listened to his press conference on Monday. So we'll also have to watch Purdue on Wednesday and, then give him my input. So I think that's very accurate. I don't think he's involved as much in the game planning and preparation maybe as years past. And, and really, who knows if that changes over by week. A lot of stuff can, can change when you have a week to reflect on who you are as a team and the direction you're going. I think that's a legit conversation right now. I think uh, since he's been back, he, seen, you know, he seems, he looks kind of miserable on the sidelines. He had the issue and Bruce was right there for it a couple weeks ago on the sideline. I think that's a legit question of, of how much longer will he be there. And obviously, that's not coming out of nowhere. We know how things at Florida ended, but we'll see. I mean, over the last month, this could go any number of directions. I mean, they could. we've seen them bounce back from this before. Last year, they bounced back from that Iowa game and won the Big Ten. So kind of a crossroads moment in the season. But, James, definitely interesting to get your perspective on it because you played there and you know how much people, I guess, uh, wildly overreact sometimes to one of these to, to, to one bad loss yeah i think a lot of times you know if you're a leader in that locker room you have to go in and say everything that we had set forth for us at the beginning of the year is still there you know you have to challenge your teammates to look at each other in the mirror but if you go out there and, and you win the games you're supposed to and then you have a you have an opportunity to go up against uh michigan and, and if you win that football game and you win the big 10 
you say, look, we did everything that we could, and you can't control anything else uh, around the nation, and you go forward. I, th- I think also you have to realize if you go into any given game in a playoff scenario and you have Dwayne Haskins who, while he wasn't perfect at all on, on a Saturday night, he was a little off on some deep balls and a little behind on some throws, but he still set the single-season school record for a game, throwing for 600 or 460-something, whatever it was. But he was really impressive. If you put him and Urban Meyer in a, in a game and you know you try, to, you try to take your chances, and I think the Ohio State fans would be okay with it. But if they don't fix some of that stuff on defense, the explosive plays and – that's you're not going to beat you're not going to beat the Clemsons and, and the Notre Dames and the Alabamas. So the, there's a way to kind of say, hey, that's that's the player way is let's take care of business week by week. Let's let's reach our goals. The the head coach perspective is we got to fix some stuff if we want to really compete with what the main objective is, and that's winning the national championship. All right, James, we appreciate your time and your insight uh, for our listeners. You can follow James on Twitter at jlaurinitis55. And I'll spell James' last name, L-A-U-R-I-N-A-I-T-I-S. James, is, as we said, is on Fox Sports now doing college football as well as BTN. And he, uh, he knows the Big Ten about as well as anybody we got. So, James, appreciate all the expertise and an insight. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And back to the podcast in a minute. Stu, I saw you take a shot at me on Twitter while I was hard at work at my game at Washington. I believe you made a a crack about my lack of business acumen, or as I would own up to, probably my lack of adulthood in in that regard of finance. So what am I supposed to do? Well, yes, I found it amusing that you were on a game on Fox Business Channel, and I I tweeted that it was ironic because you're the least business savvy person I know. But guess what? Our new sponsor, Robinhood, is... It's designed for people like you. It's an app that makes it easier to buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, and they're all commission-free. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers like yourself to invest for the first time with true confidence, simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. So... I use the app, Bruce. I, I do like to trade stocks. And I got to say, it was pretty cool. You It's very interactive. You look up a stock symbol or maybe the stock symbol is already there and it shows you the, the recent performance and you can kind of put your fingers on the screen and zoom in and zoom out and uh, see exactly what you want to see over a certain time period. And it really is free. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees you trade stocks and you keep all of your profits so here's the deal Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock this is a real thing a free stock like apple ford or sprint to help build your portfolio sign up at audible.robinhood.com that's audible.robinhood.com i did it and sure enough i now own a share of a pretty major company and I didn't have to pay for it. And it'll be the same for you if you go to audible.robinhood.com. All right, so we've spent half the podcast seemingly on this one Ohio State-Purdue game. There's another pretty big moment Saturday night. Washington State, they host game day. They get the big win over Oregon. Gardner Minshew is quickly becoming one of the, the stars of the 2018 football season, both for his performances and for his mustache. You know, if you take a step back from it, I think both of us thought this might be 
a rough year for Mike Leach after obviously Tyler Herlinski's suicide and so many coaching defections off his staff. We're only a few months removed from, from Mike Leach uh, tweeting conspiracy theories and getting into it with a USA Today reporter, but here they are, the last remaining one-loss team in the Pac-12 heading down to Stanford this week. Is this as simple as getting the right quarterback, or is there more to it? Well, I think they've gotten they made a smart hire with Tracy Clays, who's done a really good job with the defense. Alex Grinch, who left Pullman to go to join Urban Meyer staff at Ohio State and go closer to family, did a great job there. And Tracy Clays has done a great job there. They do not remember they lost Hercules Mata'afa, by far their best defensive player. It's a really small defense, and they've played pretty well. You know, I think that Gardner Minshew is crazy because I remember I did a lot of the stories about what Gardner was going to do, whether he was going to go be a grad transfer and basically a de facto grad assistant at Alabama or when Hal Mummy, who ended up at, at Jackson State, was in the state and basically helped him get up to speed before he went out to Washington State because he knew that he had a chance to start there and keep his career going. Now that I, that guy, 23 touchdowns, only six INTs. And what's kind of amazing is, you know, Gardner Minshew had played a bunch at, at East Carolina. He's almost thrown as many touchdowns this year, 23, as he did in his career at ECU. He had 24. And I think he's a really good fit for the system. He's really smart. I had talked to a, uh, a pro football personnel man about two weeks ago, and he said Gardner Minshew has played himself into the draft. Like, he's probably a guy... If you look at his Utah and his USC film, they said that would he might even be a mid-round pick. He's not huge. I mean, he's only about 6'1", but he has good feet, and he's really accurate, and he's really smart. And I think when you look at this team, for as much as Washington State throws the ball, and he's thrown it almost 400 times, he's only been sacked five times. So I think that speaks well. You know, they have a couple of really good running backs, Booby Williams, who's now Tim Brando's favorite player made a phenomenal run and got that place cranked up just to score a touchdown. And I think that, um, you know, this is probably as good a coaching job as Mike Leach has ever done. And that's saying something. I mean, for them to be in the driver's seat of the Pac-12, now they got a big game coming up with Stanford, but uh, we'll see if they can get focused back in. But um, it's pretty remarkable what's gone on at, at Pullman after such a such – a, emotional roller coaster those players have been on this year i also don't think that was necessarily you know a bad loss for oregon they they were it, it thank you know another another um another stroke of genius by the pac-12 uh scheduling gods oregon plays that huge game against washington turns around goes on the road to play a washington state team coming off a bye it seemed like in the first half justin herbert was just really out of rhythm with his receivers and he eventually got it going but by that time, they were down 27 nothing. In another interesting Pac-12 game the other night, Utah took it to USC and is now kind of in the driver's seat in that division. And then the next day, Clay Helton reveals that JT Daniels is in concussion protocol and his backup quarterback, Matt Fink, is out this week as well. They may be down to their third stringer, Jack Sears. Things are not looking so good for Clay Helton. No, they're not. I mean, this is going sideways I don't say in a hurry because it feels like it's built been been this way for a while. USC is an interesting situation. We did their game two weeks ago in Colorado. Colorado comes in or undefeated. USC handles them pretty easily. Clay Helton is nineteen and zero. He has never lost a game at the Coliseum as a head coach. Yet there are a ton of USC fans who have had it 
and want this to be his last year there. Uh, I mean, I here's here's one of the things that I you hear a lot, and I heard this from a old USC assistant uh, in regard to Ed Ogeron, who wanted the job. He's now at LSU having a really good year. And the point of that was this person went back to an old Pete Carroll line and, and Pete Carroll line and said, at USC, it's not about recruiting. It's about evaluating. You can get whoever you want. And it just seems like they have missed on a lot of guys and they are, you know, they're not good on the offensive line. That's been a disappointment and it's coming back to bite them right now. They just don't seem like they're always ready to play on Saturday. And I think, I think right now there's a, there's a portion of the USC fans who would almost rather sacrifice this year to force them into a coaching change because they do not feel like Clay Helton, as much as they may like him as a human being, do not feel like he should be the head coach there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how he, they, they could still theoretically turn around and, and win that division. Utah's got a, a much tougher schedule down the stretch. Although honestly, I, this is really crazy to say, but right now, as of this moment, who do you have more confidence in, SC, the Bruins, or, or the Bruins? You're gonna say the Bruins? I knew you were gonna say it. Yeah, yeah, I do right now. I mean, UCLA, who 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 beat, you know, really took it to Washington in the second half of that game, has been has got some momentum going. Now they could turn around and get squished by a more physical Utah team. But when you look at USC's schedule, it's not like. You know, it doesn't look like a meat grinder here. They got Arizona State, who is under 500 now. You got Oregon State, who's the worst team in the Pac-12. You got a Cal team that's kind of hit the skids and is one in three. And then they have they go play UCLA at the Rose Bowl. UCLA is on a streak, but they're still two and five. And then a game. I'm not saying this could save USC's season, but they got Notre Dame coming in there, which has huge playoff implications. I mean, you look at that; they should be favored in four of those five games. I mean, so it's not a stretch to say, okay, they can go eight and four realistically, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're looking at maybe a seven and five season. I just, the way they're playing now, you add the injuries, whether JT Daniels is going to be back for this game or not, you know, cause I feel like right now, the only thing that's saving them from even being a, a above 500 team is that passing game. Cause the strength of their team is they have very good receivers. Otherwise, I just think they're they're going to have a lot of issues because they can't run the ball very well. And that's if you go down to your third string quarterback, that's what you're going to need to lean on. I mean, that's that's not a bright outlook for USC right now. In other news, tell me about. So I did not get to see a lot of the Michigan State yeah. Michigan fireworks because I was busy with my game. So I got the see the highlights of of Devin Bush uh, tearing up the Spartan logo at midfield. And I saw the little bit of the, the post-game banter, to put it mildly, between D'Antonio and Harbaugh. Good for college football, bad for college football? That's a good it's question. Good for, it's good for college football. We're talking about it. I think you got two guys. I didn't realize you already had the answer. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I wanted, you to, I wanted you to say good for college football because I just think it's like it makes it more entertaining when, when big brand schools are, are kind of – you're not holding back. I think it's good for college football when a when a rivalry is is a really truly you know these teams hate each other rivalry. I just thought some of the stuff the other day was kind of I don't know what the word is like. Do we really do we really want uh, Bush 50, League? Was Bush League the word? Because I, I heard I mean, that come up. Really, I don't. 
you know, Devin Bush is a is a player. I'm not gonna rip a, a play. I'm just more. It's more like, do we really want fifty something year old coaches taking cheap shots at each other about? Well, that's he was standing there smiling. Well, that's BS. Like, you know, I, players talking trash. Like that's that's kind of to be expected. Uh, certainly, we see plenty of rivalry games where they get into it before the field. I'm just not sure I like the the bickering between the coaches as much. Really? You don't? If it were like, I don't know, creative, <laughs> that would be one thing, but I don't know. That, that that on both sides that seemed a little bit petty. But I'm okay with I'm, I mean, Michigan State oh. has owned that rivalry for a decade. It would be better for them and for college football if Michigan and Michigan State is a more even rivalry. Now, I know Michigan with fans would say, well, you know, really we should be the ones owning that rivalry. It also seemed a little over the top, like the Chase Winovich stuff and everything. He said, let's see, he said, uh, you know, sometimes little brother acts up. Well, when they've been doing it for a decade, <laughs> and they're 8-2 and two over the last 10 years, that, that's more than just acting up, right? You know what? I'm, I'm more than good with this. I would rather have them be, you know, raw emotionally and not hide it and fake it. I'd rather have somebody go, you know what? I hate that bleep, bleeper, as opposed to, you know, just kind of act like they don't fair I enough by the way there was emotions a good thing there was slow sl- i saw some slow-mo footage mark d'antonio was indeed standing not far behind all that with a little bit of a smile on his face now it's i'm not i don't know if he even necessarily knew what was going on or not but he was right there devin bush was right there the whole thing was a mess it'll be an interesting next i mean can you imagine when this rivalry game comes back next year after everything that happened this year Let's let's we got some good stuff for the rest of this year, and now I'm very interested to see. With are you buying all in on Michigan? Because here's here's something that jumped out at me. I know the weather was really bad there. Mich- they held Michigan State to under 100 yards total and zero for 12 on third down. We know Don Brown's defense is nasty, and a lot of this has been done without Rashawn Gary. By the way, Shea Patterson has come on and and keeps playing better and better and keeps getting more settled in. Do you think Michigan right now is one of the four best teams in college football? I think they're one of the five or six best teams in college football. I'm a little hesitant to get too caught up in that game the other day because I think it's clear that Michigan State um, has, I mean, they have a very limited offense to begin with, and then their best receiver, unfortunately, Felton Davis, mm-hmm. lost for the season. But I will say this, Michigan's defense is the real deal. You know, I think they probably have the best defense in college football. Uh, I, I don't think that's, I don't think I'm, I'm shocking anybody with that statement. So now it's a question of, well, do you believe in Jay Patterson? Do you believe in that offense? I think they're getting better and better. I guess the question would be, given everything we just talked about with Ohio State, when those two teams play, does Michigan have the Rondell Moore type guy that can take advantage of the fact that they that Ohio State, as of today, can't tackle. Question for you on this. I'm looking at, at your top ten. Yes. Um, well, there's a team, and I get into this, where I think best versus most deserving. Uh, if Michigan were to play Texas, your number five team on a neutral field, I'm taking Michigan. Yeah, you know, people have asked me about that. Why do I have Texas ahead of Michigan? And that's as simple as, you know, Michigan, Michigan has some good wins, but they don't have the equivalent of uh, beating Oklahoma. You know, beating a, a legit top five to ten. They have a team. they have a 
I hate to say this because it sounds so so wormy. They have a better loss than, than Texas does. They do, but if we've learned anything from the playoff over the years, it's much more about who you beat. Than we you haven't learned them. anything from the playoff because it's a bunch of BS, whatever they spout out from a given I year. I mean, it's so. interesting. I feel like in, when I did that top 10 the other day, and look, this will be you know, Georgia plays Florida this week, so either Georgia will add a, a signature-type win or they won't. But, you know, Georgia, subjectively, to me, is still one of the best teams in the country. But I couldn't justify putting them in the top 10 because who have they beaten? Who have they beaten? Nobody. Uh, you know They've who, beaten you know, nobody. You know who won, Who was a big winner last weekend, even though they didn't play? Notre Dame. Michi- the better Michigan looks, the better it is for Notre Dame. I mean, that's kind of obvious now, but they really need Michigan. Uh, not really, because if they win their uh, games, it probably doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But oh, you're finally I, conceding that undefeated would they would get in? Almost definitely. <laughs> yes, yeah. they do. They need Michigan to be as good as possible. They need Stanford to be as good as possible. It's not. What's not great for them is that SC. You know, by the time they play SC at the end of the year, and what will basically be their conference championship game. You know, their closest thing to that. If SC is seven and four or six and five, you know that that won't necessarily have the intended effect. But it, can I? That's only really going to come into play if they lose a game somewhere. Back to the podcast in a second, but first let's talk real quick about the difference between being smart and not smart. For instance, it was probably not smart for me to take USC in the points in my picks last week. But I'll tell you what's smart, going to ZipRecruiter.com slash TASB to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com T-A-S-B, as in the Audible, Stu and Bruce, ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So since we're talking about the playoff and the prospects on this, and, and, and James Laurinaitis had touched on this a little bit, what I don't think is going to happen is I don't think, we'll get into this LSU-Alabama game a lot more next week, but I don't think LSU wins this and runs the table. I think that's a, I mean, it's a leap that they're going to win the game, beat Alabama in the first place. And then I think it would be a leap that they would go on and probably beat Georgia or Florida or whatever, you know, including win it at A&M. But if, if Bama beats LSU, let's say it's a close game and they're not, and LSU is not going to have Devin White, they're probably their second best player for ha- half the game and they lose that. And they're, they are 10 and two Alabama wins the SEC title. How realistic do you think there is that we could get two SEC teams? Because I think Clemson and Notre Dame are in there. But if Wisconsin wins out, they're a two-loss team that would I don't think would, the way the Big Ten's going to be looked at, would be seen as one that would be assured of a bid. I think the Big 12, if they have a one-loss team, they're in pretty good shape. But there's a, they have rough schedules in November where they play each other. And I could see a two-loss Big Big Twelve team. I mean, the obvious one is if is if like I said, if LSU wins and they're twelve and one and Bama's eleven and one, 
I mean, if, if that's the case, then I think everybody's in trouble outside of probably Clemson. If Bama's the own 11 and one non, you know, non champ. What do you think that uh, this uh, the logical factor stands in with possibly two SEC there's, teams? Because you could you could also have Florida in the in the mix too for that. By the way, there's there's just too many moving parts. Everybody's asking these questions about what happens if if Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, or Michigan, Tech, Texas, or Oklahoma or West. If all these teams are in the mix, there's too many moving parts. But I will say that I think two SEC teams is still on the table if Alabama isn't the champion. So if it's if you're talking about Alabama being eleven and one like they were last year, I think they're getting in, and then maybe the SEC champ is is one loss Georgia or one loss LSU. But you're talking about two loss team. I am talking about a two loss team. Yeah, after what we've seen the last two years, I don't I don't see that happening unless all hell breaks loose and and that's all you've got left are two loss teams because they've just shown a lot of resistance to. If you were going to put a two loss team in. You know, you had the chance the, each of the last two years, and each of the last two years they they chose the eleven and one team that didn't win its conference. So yeah, uh, but the, keep in mind we didn't have two conference teams before, and we got two SEC teams last year. We did, but they had one loss. Yeah, but Alabama hadn't beaten anybody last year. Who? Well, let me say. Okay, let's say uh, you said you in your scenario, Clemson or Notre Dame are in, right? Yeah. Okay. Who? Who out of um, is your scenario dependent on the Pac-12 champ, Big 12 champ, and Big 10 champ all having two losses? Yeah, I don't I, look. I don't think the Pac-12 champ is going to make it to no, the playoffs. No, I don't think so either. I don't. Um, I, I think that's an easy one. To, I think, to, to write off. You know, in my projection, I don't have a Big 12 team in there because I kind of have a feeling those teams are all going to lose another game. So, what happens if Wisconsin is your Big Big 10 champ? Again, who are they being measured up against? If they were measured up against a, a two-loss Florida or a two-loss uh, LSU, it's a good question. I just I just don't think it will come down to that. I think there'll be a better a better option I mean, out there. But who would you who would you? Here's the question. Here, let me throw you out this question. Okay. Okay. The fourth spot comes down to ten and two LSU or undefeated UCF. UCF's not getting in. Their schedule is not good. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to be more uh, supportive of the the you know group of fives. Their schedule is so bad. If you look at the teams, and look, I think I think what they're doing there is really really good. Mackenzie Milton's fun to watch, but it's just, I mean, they and this it stinks to do this, but they had their hands full with Memphis. Memphis just got blown out by Mizzou, you know, and that was the. That was maybe the, the 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 best opponent they played so far was Memphis, right? So you look at it; they played UConn. UConn's horrendous. South Carolina State can't say them. They beat FAU, but FAU Lane Kiffin is not having a good year, by the way. You know they're under five hundred, and they did beat Pitt. They beat SMU. SMU is is under five hundred. They had their hands full with Memphis. Memphis is four and four, and they only beat them by one point. And they just played a two and five. ECU team. Now the schedule will get a little better now. This is now we're going to get to November where it's Temple who's playing better. They're five and three. Navy who's having a bad year. Cincinnati who's six and one. And then USF who's undefeated. That will help them. But I don't think, uh, I'm not sure any of them will be in the, like Temple certainly won't be in the top 25. Cincinnati won't. 
you USF if they if they can keep winning, that's that would be the best I don't, thing. I think USF I don't think it's is enough. A, yeah, I think USF's undefeated season is about to end this week at Houston. I think Houston is I mean, really. Look at you, look, by the way, look at what USF is. You know, yeah, they're undefeated, and that's they're great. Not, I'm they tell barely you right now, beat they're UConn. not that good. They beat Tulsa yeah. by one. They struggle with UMass. They beat ECU by a, by a touchdown. I mean, there's this is not great either. No, they're not a great team. I, I, look, you're right. UCF's not getting in the playoff. They will they will throw a fit though if they're not getting in, at, and a two loss Power Five team gets in. One loss, okay. Two loss, that AD may. Who, who wrote a letter to game day? This that AD, by the way. This is here's Danny, what I really, Danny, Danny White is the yes. Thing. Here's what I want to happen. I want Danny White because this always happens, right? If you're a good AD, you get just like the coaches, right? You get a you move up in the world. I want Danny White to become the AD at say. I'm just this is not a school necessarily has an AD opening. Just theoretically, I want him to get a job at. Uh, well, let's just say Nebraska. Let's say he reunites with his guy, Scott Frost, at Nebraska. What's going to happen to Bill Moose? N- this has nothing to do with Bill Moose. I just needed a random example. Well, don't and give him this. Okay, go ahead. You got a better one? Here, here's where I'm going with this. Two uh, years from now. You couldn't have picked a worse one. I want okay, two ahead. years from now, I want that school that he's the AD, that Power Five school that he's at the AD in, to be in this same, to be on the other side of the situation and see how sympathetic he is to the group of five schools. It's always about what, what role you're in at that moment. Yeah, I do. No, I agree. I last, do agree. Last thing I want to bring up, and by the way, you guys have told us you don't. We had some feedback this week that you absolutely do not mind when the podcasts go a little bit long. Good to hear. We will hopefully have better audio quality. Oh, let me address. That. So last week's audio was bad, and really, it's become kind of Especially a running joke bad. in the four years we've been doing this that about our poor sound quality. But last week's was my fault, by the way. Look, we don't. We have a. This is a very low-tech operation we have here. We're, we're on Skype, and we're, and we're recording a Skype call. We have microphones. We have earbuds. Last week, my earbuds broke, so I didn't use them, and there was an echo. But all of this being said, I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's an expectation in 2018 that podcasts will sound professional. Now, Bruce and I do this out of our own pocket. We don't, in case anybody's wondering, this is not uh, you know, run by The Athletic or any other major media company. We... You know, we get some money from sponsorships, but we're not, trust me, we're not getting rich off the Audible. But I think last week's was the straw that broke the camel's back because we have, in fact, purchased some some actual professional equipment that will be arriving in time for next week's podcast. Hopefully this one sounded better than last week's, and hopefully very soon, next week or shortly thereafter, we will finally have a podcast that sounds like a podcast should. Thank you for your patience. Okay, Stu, I didn't get a chance to see much of Tennessee, Alabama, but I did see the comments that Jeremy Pruitt made to CBS, and it's this. I promise you I will recruit 25 other guys that will play the right way so we don't have to play in another game like this. Our colleague Matt Fortuna, just seeing this now, but I'm so tired of this crap from first-year coaches. We get it. Tennessee was bad last year. That's why they made a coaching change. Guess what? You're making $4 million per year to fix it now, not to constantly remind us all about what you walked into. How do you feel about Matt's comments? I'm very proud of Matt for those comments. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice take. And I agree. I mean, I, I don't have as much of a problem with it in the off season before the first season when you're trying to motivate guys and 
you know, hey, you know, it's uh, every job is up for grabs, et cetera, et cetera. But halfway through or more than halfway through this season, let, let's stop blaming it on the former coaching staff. And in fact, th- you know, we talked about Jeff Brom earlier. When you brought this quote to my attention, I looked something up that I thought I remembered from a Q&A I did with him leading up to the bowl game last year. So I think we can both agree that there's there's a very little chance that Jeff Brom inherited a you know far more talented roster than Jeremy Pruitt inherited at Tennessee, right? Say what? You know, Jeff Brom probably inherited a roster from Daryl Hazel that was in as bad a shape, if not worse, than the one Jeremy Pruitt inherited from Tennessee, oh, right? Yes, I would definitely agree. With and that. yet they went seven and six last year, and what he told me was. This was going into the bowl game last year when they, they were 6-6. Uh, six and six. I believe in winning now. I'm not one of these guys that likes to build for the future. I'm not going to come in and push aside the previous coach's guys. No, we want to win now. Help these seniors who've been here and struggle. Give them a chance to win. When it's over, then we'll worry about winning next year. I think they appreciated that we built the team around the seniors rather than pushing them aside. So it is possible to inherit a team that wasn't very good, get them, make them be better, and not disparage the the former the players who are who have been putting in the work for four years in the process. Yeah, you know what? I agree. I mean, I think after a while, it's like okay, there's a time for that, and then to publicly keep doing it, I think is is you're you know after one that expression he doth protest too much a little bit. Look, I think they had a really nice win a week ago at, at Auburn. I think that there's reason for optimism there. Leave it be at that. You know, I get that you're you're emotional because you're you're probably not yet getting used to, to being blown out. I mean, Alabama does that to a lot of people. Just win some more games and you know build off that. But it is what it is. Look, I mean, a couple of minutes ago, or I don't know, twenty minutes ago, I was talking about how much I I like it when coaches keep it as real as possible, not sugarcoat things, as you know Harbaugh and Mark D'Antonio did. They let it, their feelings known. I mean. I'm not going to be too hard on uh, on Jeremy Pruitt for letting his feelings be known, you know. So there you go. Before we get to our shout outs, Stu, guess where I am going this weekend? Um, oh, for your game this weekend? Yes. Uh, oh, are you going to be seeing the clash for first place in the Big Ten West? I am. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not sure the way it's going right now. Iowa might be the best. Be playing the best. Of I actually in do the West. think Iowa is the best team in the West. Let's, let's, that, that's my shout out. To, to Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes. No, I'll think of a different shout-out. Okay, but what do I need to see when I go to lovely Evanston? Okay, so what do you need to see? I mean, it's a is very... There, what you need to see is the new football building, which I assume they will give you a tour of like they did I'm sure a they couple will, weeks yeah. ago. It's, it's insane. Walk around the lovely campus, maybe stop by the number one journalism school in the country, teach those kids some lessons. In terms of the stadium itself... I can't say that there's a lot of uh, a lot going on there, uh, but you should go to Muster's Last Stand, which is right next door to the stadium, a hot dog stand that has been there forever and is all about you know former player memorabilia on the walls of Northwestern sports fame, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think once you get to the game, you're going to find that it's a very pretty place to watch a football game and also going to be a lot of bread. Is there any good deep dish nearby? Well, of course. It's Chicago. Actually, I know how much of you're a fan of Lou Malnati's. 
There is. Uh, are you staying up there, or are you staying in Chicago? No, I'm actually staying. We're staying uh, not too far from. We're in downtown Chicago. Well, <laughs> I think you might be able to find some deep dish in downtown Chicago. But but right, if so by chance you don't so squeeze it in, there's Giordano's in Evanston, and there is a Lou Malnati's in a very nondescript strip mall across the street from the hotel I stayed at in Skokie. All right. Well, I will take you up on that. I don't know if I'm going to get any hot dogs, though. All right. To the mailbag we go. Okay. We really do need to get to the mailbag, but shout outs. Uh, I will go first. You know what? I'm going to have like one and a half. I'm going to give a shout out to I, yesterday, Sunday morning. I am walking through bleary eyed with my glasses on and somebody stopped me. His name was Ian with his family. And it was, it was very complimentary, the audible. And so a shout out to not just him, but also to a lot of you who have been really effusive in your praise of this podcast, bad audio quality at times and all it is very, uh, very much appreciated and pleasantly surprising. I got to say when he first stopped me, I thought it was somebody I knew from way back when, and it wasn't, but it was just a loyal listener. And it's always great to hear that. My other shout out is going to be to Nick Holt. He is the Purdue defensive coordinator and everyone's going to talk about what a great job Jeff Brom has done there. And it's all true. Uh, Nick Holt had to replace seven starters on the defense and they held Ohio state as potent as that offense is to about five and a half yards of play. And that's the third time in the last four games Purdue has held an opponent to more than a full yard below their season average, which is a pretty sizable chunk. For a lot of people, Nick Holt may be remembered as the guy who got fired at, by Steve Sarkeesian after that crazy Baylor-Washington bowl game. For a lot of people who are in coaching, he's known as a guy who, even when he did not work out well as a head coach at Idaho, was kind of like the godfather to a lot of young coaches and gave them their first chance. And so there's a lot of people who love Nick Holt and his family for how what a good man he was to work for. And it's very cool to see last year he had a lot of experienced players, did a nice job. Now he's a lot of inexperienced players, and he's doing it again. So shout out to Nick Holt. Uh, They're more than just a really great offensive system. My shout out goes to Old Dominion, who is two and six, but the two wins are among the most eventful of the entire college football season. One was obviously upsetting Virginia Tech. The other, this past week against Western Kentucky, did you see the ending of this game? I did. Thanks to Twitter, I was able to see enough people tweeted it out. Never, and can you, I would assume you agree, you've never seen a game end like this? Not quite that way, no. Okay, so here's the quick rundown, but you should definitely find the footage on Twitter or Google it. Old Dominion scores a touchdown late to tie it. Western Kentucky, though, gets down the field quick enough to kick a game-winning field goal. The first kick goes in. No, the first kick misses, but, and by the way, there's, this is the last play of the game. The first, the first kick misses. But Old Dominion gets a penalty, so they get to move up and kick it again. This time, they not only miss, but Old Dominion is able to return the kick the way Auburn did in the kick six. They don't quite make it all the way down the field. In the meantime, there is 0-0-0 on the clock. But Western Kentucky committed a penalty on the return. Half can't end on a defensive penalty. So, one more untimed play. Western Kentucky, Old Dominion kicks the game-winning field goal. So there were basically three huge things that happened with 0-0-0 on the clock. Uh, another example of why we love college football, too. Exactly. Okay, Bruce, why don't you say we get to the mailbag? 
All right, Stu, let's get to the mailbag. All right, tell everybody the email address. The email address is theautomall at gmail.com. No, that is not. That is not the address that we've been using for the last four years. Okay. Send your email to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We want to start with Garrett Green in Mesa, Arizona. Sure. Dear Stu and Bruce, I love the pod. It's a must listen every week. My Sun Devils lost yet another game by exactly one touchdown which is the fourth time this season. The defense seems to have turned the corner thanks to Danny Gonzalez joining the staff as playing respectably for starting three true freshmen. But now the offense seems inept. Rob Likens was promoted to OC when Herm took over to help with continuity, but it seems like it may have it may not have been ready. Is it too early to say we should look for a new OC? Thoughts in general on this Sun Devil team and Herm era so far? Are any other rumblings you've been hearing around college football circles? All right, so let's focus on ASU on Garrett's question from Mesa, Arizona. So I watched most of the Thursday night Arizona State-Stanford game the other night. I've actually seen quite a bit of ASU. I saw a bit of the Michigan State game, the San Diego mm-hmm. State game. I want Me to too. Say some of the Washington game. For all the criticism he took, especially from me, or that hire, I should say, he's got them playing really good defense, as he said, which... It's not really was not really the case the last couple of years of Todd Graham, but it is a little puzzling as as Garrett points out that you've got pretty good quarterback and Manny Wilkins and some really good receivers, uh, most notably Nikhil Harry, and they just it seems like every game it's a it's a it's a struggle to get to 17 points. Yeah, look, Manny Wilkins has played a lot. Nikhil Harry is a big physical receiver. They've had some some good you know run game with Eno Benjamin. I think. The issue just seems like it has been consistency. Now, Rob Likens had really struggled at Kansas when he was the OC there. Uh, he'd come, he'd been at Cal. He'd been around some bad teams, but obviously Herm Edwards felt comfortable with him. I think some of the, some of the concerns you have to look at going forward is do people look at them going, okay, we have a real beat on them. We know if we can try to, as Washington did, and granted Washington has better secondary than almost everybody else in the Pac-12, if we can take out Nikhil Harry, we're going to really just derail this offense. And that's what it seems like. It's just been a lack of consistency. Now, look, one of the games you made, a couple of games you mentioned, but certainly Michigan State, they're pretty good on defense. I mean, they, they do know how to stop the run. So I think that some of the teams they've faced, you look at it and you go, okay, I can see them having some growing pains here. You know, I, like you said, I think Herm has been better than I thought he'd be. But you start looking around what they've really done here. They had the one really good game on the ground against Oregon State where they had almost 400 yards rushing. But then you start looking. Michigan State, as we said, they're really good against the run. San Diego State, they're really good against the run. Washington gave up some yards. And then, obviously, Stanford bottled them up last you know, last week in that game, held them under 100 yards. So I think that's been the challenge is just getting some consistency there. They've had, a, they've had you know, one really good game, and the rest of it's been kind of underwhelming. I think that's made them too one-dimensional, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not ready to call for any coordinator's head. I will say that at the time, you remember there was kind of a haphazard situation where the original plan was to keep the two coordinators on, but then Phil Bennett decided to leave, and Billy Napier got a head coaching job, so then it was, okay, who can he bring in next? You know, it may be that next year, if he decides to make some changes... He might be able to attract some better candidates now that he's more established there and, and shows that, you know, this is a this is a, a, a situation where they can win some games. Yeah, I mean, just one other point on this. If they do make a change, 
they would have had like so many different offensive coordinators there in the last five years. You know, Mike Norvell was for there was there for a while. Then Chip Lindsey was there for a year. Then Billy Napier was there for a year. Now we got Rob Likens. You know, Manny Wilkins will be gone after this year, but that's still a lot of. It's just hard to get things going when you have such continuity issues. It's a little bit like what has happened at UCLA, where you've had just a revolving door of offensive coordinators. So here's a really fun question we got from Clint Harrod. Stu and Bruce, why is college football better than pro football? Top three reasons from both of you. Now, I just want to say, while I obviously believe that to be the case, pro football is making a strong comeback right now. I feel like it's very entertaining now. Um, Pat Mahomes is a great story. And also, when you compare this college football season to this NFL season, I just feel like, I mean, there's not a lot of suspense in college football this year. We're all just kind of biding our time to see if anybody can beat Alabama. You know, in the NFL, I don't think that that that's the case, right? There's a lot of good teams that could could possibly win the Super Bowl. Did you not? Like, I was sat in a sports bar in Seattle and was not expecting to be riveted to Purdue, Ohio State, but I was. And that, to me, is the number one reason why college football, I think, is is better. Because you just don't see games where you're going to see the Patriots lose to, like, and I'm not saying Purdue's the worst team in, in, in the league, because they're certainly not, but where a where a team that doesn't seem like they have any business competing. And and the reality is, you know, when in the NFL you're you're dealing with all, you know, men who've been drafted into the league. There's a draft to build in some level of parity. There's uh, you know, cap issues, there's different things like that. In college football, there's none of that. So you can have widespread disparities, not just from you know, the the SEC to the Sun Belt or or the MAC. You can get it from certainly Oklahoma to Kansas or Rutgers to Ohio State. It's just that's just the reality. And I think so, you know, at some point, you know, that can be a bad thing. But you do get some upsets, I think, because of the nature of having 18, 19, 20 year olds trying to figure this out. And there's just a lot of emotional swings from week to week. To me, that's the the biggest thing I love is the unpredictable nature of it, because there's there's also such turnaround. And you have a you know, another thing I like about it is you have a lot of variance in the kinds of systems you have. You know, when Oklahoma is taken, you know, is taken to the limit by Army, and Army, the Army system is so much different, not just personnel-wise, but certainly scheme-wise to Oklahoma. You know, you just don't see that wide range in the NFL. I'm not saying the NFL is bad. I like the NFL a lot, but I just think that's what that's what makes college football so much different. There's so many different flavors of ice cream there to like. And then, and then also. You know, even if the Patriots did lose to, let's say, uh, a team that ends up going six and ten, that one loss really doesn't have that big an effect on anything. But this Ohio State Purdue game, you know, literally went from Ohio State being number two in the country and and are they could they beat Alabama to, you know, the sky is falling. What's wrong with that program? Purdue goes from a complete afterthought. They're they're three and three. Nobody has any reason to think about them to this amazing story who, hey, maybe they could actually win the Big Ten West. So the the significance of any one game is just is so much greater uh, in college than in the NFL. By the way, also Washington State, that scene with game day and how much that meant. I mean, I think that's the difference between rooting for a pro team versus rooting for your school. That, that event, that win, uh, it just meant so much to anybody who went to that school, went to Washington State or has some connection to Washington State. 
makes that really special. And I'm also just a sucker for pageantry. You know, I know maybe that sounds cheesy, but college football just has so much of it. Every school has unique traditions. Uh, what we saw from the Michigan-Michigan State game this past weekend, that intensity of that rivalry, you're not going to get that in the NFL where the guys are, you know, paid employees who go from one team to the next. So those are my reasons. Do we need any more? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, there's still some great, you know, there's places, whether it's Green Bay or different places that have, I would say, a similarity to the college feel and, and some of that folklore and, and connection with the fans and history, which is great. I just think that it's at times it feels too corporate. Now, there's some parts of college football that can get get that way, too. But um, I mean, those are the biggest reasons for me. Yeah, I don't know that the Green Bay, as much as people in Green Bay love the Packers, I don't know that there's an equivalent to them to, to, to Washington State beating Oregon and their fans storming the field or Purdue beating Ohio State and their fans storming. That, that, that a win would be that, that special that it would cause, I mean, I know people don't rush the field in the NFL, but you know what I mean, the, the yeah. emotional equivalent to that. I know what you mean. Let's get to Mike, Michael Donlin. Thank you, Michael, for spelling your name for us phonetically. From Lincoln, Nebraska. Stuart and Bruce, I love your podcast. Eagerly await each episode. Thank you for insight. I have a couple of questions for you. Can you explain the new redshirt rule a little bit? Some big names left their schools within the past few weeks, such as Kelly Bryan at Clemson, Jalen McCluskey at Oklahoma State. Here at Nebraska, a highly touted wide receiver who didn't pan out, Tyjon Lindsey transferred to Oregon State after four games, and top JC running back Greg Bell transferred after losing the starting job. Can these players transfer and have this year still count as their sit-out year, then be eligible to play in 2019? Or do these players have to transfer from a school on the semester system to a school on the quarter system in order to have this year count as a, quote, sit-out year? And then the other question, why do you refer to the Fox Green Room as the avocado room instead of the green room? Just wondering, as I always hear of the room where personalities get ready for their appearances as the green room. Go Big Red, Michael Donlin. So the avocado room question is just basically that's Fox's fancy spin on the green room. It is a much, much better room, green room experience than any other. As I think, Stu, you could attest, it's hard to beat that setting for watching games and just hanging out. I mean, both because of the watching the games and you just never know who's going who's gonna to be in there. You talked about last week about your kids getting to play with uh, David Ortiz, like... You just you never know who's gonna necessarily stroll through there on a given day. Yeah, and I, think I once yeah. watched uh, I once watched a, the end of the in fact it was the Michigan Michigan State game with the drop punt a few years ago. The Jalen Watts Jackson. Yeah, Leinert was in there and he had his friend Nick Lachey. I randomly found myself watching this crazy ending of a college football game with Nick Lachey. Can you tell your Pete Rose experience the first time you met him story? Oh, we've told that story on here before. And what he thinks of your high school? He does not have a high, you know, I, I, this was, it was a really big deal. I know I've told it on here before, but I know we have a lot of new listeners. It was a really big deal for me as a kid who grew up in Cincinnati and was, I want to say, nine years old when he broke the hits record. And it was the biggest thing in my life at that moment to meet him for the first time. And I went up and I introduced myself and I said, I'm from Cincinnati. And he said, what, what high school did you go to? And I said, Sycamore. And he said, huh. He didn't really say much at first. And then randomly came back later and said, Sycamore, huh? They're a bunch of, and I can't say the word. Uh, this is start with Vulgar water word that is often used to describe somebody who you think is um, not uh, macho enough. 
I gotcha. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. You want to take the second half of Michael's question? Um, yeah. So the way that works is you, I mean, it's really, you know, Kelly Bryant's a grad transfer. He graduated already. So he will be eligible next year. But if you transfer as an underclassman, even though you you will preserve that year of eligibility, but you're still going to have to sit out the next year unless you can get a waiver. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because if guys don't get waivers, then they really did this for no reason. You know, they will have to sit out a year anyway, a year and eight games. So I think there's a feeling that the NCAA has gotten more loose with the waiver. I mean, Shea Patterson got one. A bunch of those guys got one. But if it's but but by the letter of the law, it's got to be a special circumstance. It can't just be, well, I used that new redshirt rule and I didn't realize what what that meant I was doing. So that's how that works. It's interesting to see how, how all schools are using this rule. Like we just did Washington, and last week, not not uh, when they played CU our game a couple of days ago, they had played Kyler Gordon, who they said is probably the best athlete in their DB room, which is saying a lot because they have a ton of talent there. So he plays his first game, and Jimmy Lake, the defense coordinator, goes, yeah, but you're probably not going to see him tomorrow. I was like, really? No. They don't want to use up his game, all of his games yet. They were hoping to redshirt him. What they did do was they played a couple of different true freshmen on the D-line because Jalen Johnson, one of their starting D-linemen, was suspended for the first half of the game because of targeting the previous week, and they had another guy hurt. So it's like teams are like plugging guys in and using them strategically trying to use them at positions where they might be weak given a, you know, a certain week, especially if it's related to like a targeting thing where it's like, Hey, we're going to be light this, you know, maybe for a half, this guy could come in for maybe it's six or eight snaps. And that way you still can keep the red shirt. So a lot of, you know, there are some teams who've been very, very strategic in how they're applying this rule right now. Can I throw a question at you that just came in from Tyler about Joe Moorhead, Mississippi state. Yes. Says, what are your thoughts on Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State? The hire was pretty much universally praised given his offensive acumen. And since Mississippi State was bringing back just about everybody except a left tackle, Bulldog fans had high expectations coming into the year. But after putrid performances in the SEC, hmm, this seems a little premature. He's being compared to Sylvester Croom due to lack of offensive firepower and imagination. Nick Fitzgerald, not a good passer, but that didn't stop Mullen from playing to his and his team's strength. What gives? Moorhead has lost a ton of goodwill from the fan base, given the returning talent and expectations. You know, they have a great defense, but I have to say, this is the furthest thing from what I expected Joe Moorhead's offense to look like. Same here. I thought they would have been the third best team in the SEC behind Georgia and Alabama. That has not been the case. You know, look, I I did a story where I talked to both uh, Joe Moorhead and Andrew Briner, the quarterback's coach about what they were hoping to accomplish with Nick Fitzgerald taking him to the next level as a passer. Now, we're bit, you know, that was a big, his shortcomings coming off the injury were he's never been much of a passer. He's been a, he's been Tebow-esque in that he's a big physical guy who can, you know, run quarterback lead and just, just ram it up the middle and get six yards and maybe break it for more than that. What's interesting to me a little bit is I went back and looked at this because I feel like they have really been underwhelming. Kylan Hill's a really good running back who had some good games early on, but has been kind of contained because they don't, they're so one dimensional right now. And I think more it's tried to adjust. They are seventh in the SEC in yards per play. What's surprising to me is, you know where they ranked last year in that stat? 
Tell me. 11th. Hmm. Which which doesn't add up to me, like because I feel like they were so much better than that. But they averaged, you know, they really struggled because I think they're so much one more one dimensional. But here's the issue for them: they ran the ball better with Mullen last year than they are now. I mean, if you go back, even though the differences are what they are in that stat I ran, they ran the ball a lot better in. Uh, in SEC play than they are right now. And I think that's the difference where it just feels like they're running into a brick wall and they don't have any, they don't have any answers. I think that I can see why he's lost a little bit of goodwill. People are really excited for this team and, and high expectations, but to say seven or eight games into the season that he's the next Sylvester Groom seems pretty premature. Any new coach needs a little bit of time to put his system in, but you know, it does seem like a bit of a missed opportunity given who they had coming back. Yeah, I, look, and look, Nick, Nick Fitzgerald to me has been the biggest disappointment as a passer in the SEC, if not maybe in the country. He was shaky last year. He was at fifty-six uh, percent. They were hoping to get him up to sixty-five percent. Right now, he's under forty-seven percent. Four touchdowns, seven picks. It's been really, really disappointing to see. But look, I think Joe Moorhead's a really, really good coach. I think he's really smart. I think they'll 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 figure it out. They may, they may not figure it out this year. They may have to figure it out with a, you know, with a new quarterback and we'll see how they develop them. He hit the ground running at Penn state. They didn't meet expectations so far, but if I was a Mississippi state fan, I would not give up hope at this point. Mike, is this a place blowing rock, North Carolina? Uh, you're going to make me Google it. Aren't you? He says, what are your thoughts on Appalachian state moving up to FBS only four seasons ago? And now they are ranked. Remarkable job by Scott Satterfield. No doubt. One of the best, best X and O guys in uh, on the sidelines. A little shout-out to his first-year defense coordinator, B. Brown, who I had been around a lot when I worked on Meat Market. He was a uh, he was a defensive back there who has risen up the coaching ranks. They, uh, as they like to call it, the Legion of Boone. <laughs> their, guys, their guys are physical, and they're always well-coached. And yes, Stu, Blowing Rock, North Carolina is, in fact, a real place. I learn something new every day. Sorry about that. Sorry for doubting it. I think that Appalachian State, unlike maybe some of these other FCS schools that make the move up, was in in better position than most just because it was such a good program. You know, it, it won national championships. It has, frankly, better fan support than a lot of FBS, you know, or, or, you know frankly, than some Power 5 programs. But, you know, he was able to hit the ground running Right from the beginning, they went four and eight their first year, uh, moving up, and then from there seven and five, eleven and two, ten and three, nine and four, off to a five and one start this year. Thought, you know, you look back now and that that Penn State had to escape against them in the opener. Doesn't seem all that fluky now. They're they're a really good team uh, with a big game this week against Georgia Southern for first place in that division. Yeah. By the way, they're they're now having to go without Jalen Moore, who's out for the season. He's the best running back in that conference. Uh, he got hurt. I believe he got hurt in the Arkansas State game, and they didn't. Uh, they had no. They had little trouble with Louisiana beating them. So he's a stud. Just uh, you know, I'm, I suspect we'll hear more about him when he gets to the NFL level. Yeah, and um, the other thing is somebody's going to hire Scott Satterfield. 
right? I know it's his alma mater. I know he. I was surprised the whole, all, you know, had a year of SEC openings and nobody blinked at him. He got didn't get a sniff. Nope. Now, if North Carolina comes open, if they spend a lot of money to move on from Larry Fedora, here's a North Carolina guy. Um, you would think it, they would be kind of foolish not to look at him, considering what he's done there. But who knows? Yeah, I, I would think an ACC or an SEC job that that's going to happen at some point. Thanks again for the emails, everybody. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink, and we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octaves for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read with myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there. Go to theathletic.com slash theaudible and get 25% off. You can also follow our coverage at The Athletic CFB. You can follow me at SL Mandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. We'll see you next time.